Welcome to Worker Movement, a podcast dedicated to the working class, a podcast dedicated to raising class consciousness. This podcast is for you, for us, for the worker. Today we're going to talk about uh, an awesome episode revolving around trans rights and bathrooms. We'll start off with a little bit of info first. You, you haven't actually read it, so you have no idea what the episode's about. I have no idea what's going on here. All <laughs> right, Brown versus the Board of Education. Uh, let me start over. No, that's fine. All right. Uh, which, if Sarah Palin is listening, is a Supreme Court case, uh, which is an off comment. What did Sarah Palin do? She uh, she couldn't name a Supreme Court case, remember? Her literal, uh, you know, only objective was, I'm going to go on the news and be a big girl, and I can't name a newspaper. Or- she was super cool. I, I was but- writing jokes in the intro here. Yeah, you're fucking slamming, dude. <laughs> um, remember when her town was like the most meth per capita town in all of Alaska? That's Maybe it cool. still is. I, I've let my meth statistics atrophy. You know, sometimes you got to chase a dragon. What are you going to do? <laughs> all right. Uh, so uh, with Brown versus the Board of Education, the Supreme Court ruled that separate but equal was unconstitutional. Uh, this occurred in 1954. The civil rights movement of the 1960s was at least partially about eliminating separate equal. That's true. So, so I didn't, I didn't know if like at least partially was appropriate phrasing, or if it was like I can make a, a stronger statement. So I kind of just hedged and was like, yeah. You know, that's a good, that's a good bet because you know at that point in time, it's it's the fact that class was separated on color and not an actual class. Um. You know, made it so that everything was about color, and so I mean, yeah, eliminating separated equal was from all things, not just education. So that's good enough. Uh, BLM or Black Lives Matter today, the movement uh, can be framed as eliminating a derivative separate but equal, the same but unequal. That's true. Uh, where the ultimate pursuit is equal access for all under the law. That's that's a good statement. And it's not just that; it's also equal pay, equal opportunity. Yeah, there's a lot here. What separate but equal? And remember, the corporations don't give a shit, so they're going to play it to the legal letter of the law every single time to exploit as much work as possible. Uh, all right, so this is largely manifested in police violence against blacks. One uh, police force of by and for the ruling class is treating one race differently than the other, but it doesn't stop at policing. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, pretty uh, good. Yeah, that, I mean, that's like basically saying like yeah, it's pretty good, man. That, that's like the high point of my writing here. So we'll we'll, yeah. we'll see. It gets... Well, you fought, you dunked on Sarah Palin, which is really important. It's uh, a throwback. And I then... Uh... Fit in like a Nicole Wallace dunk too, because apparently she has a show on MSNBC. And I'm kind of like, how? Yeah. It's kind of like not saying CO's name. We'll just we'll just do it the the first name last letter only Candace O or we'll do it the other way which is you know maybe it's that's too descriptive we'll do the first initial last name of C Owens but uh, you know getting help getting help by certain organizations and then come around and being douches super important all right here we go uh, all right oh good transition segregated bathrooms drinking fountains in schools. Were eliminated by Brown, yes, but segregated bathrooms based on gender persist to this very day, and why? All right, 
Yeah, for pretty good episode so far, right? Yeah, you're killing it, dude. Yeah. All right. So our public bathrooms circa the nineteen twenties were once reserved for males. This had the effect of enforcing gender roles. Women were effectively restricted from engaging in the public space because they didn't have access to bathrooms. That is true. If you cannot use a bathroom, you cannot be out in a booth. I'm sorry, out and about for our stuff. Non-Canadian listeners. Non-Canadian <laughs> listeners, yeah. Which is currently 3% of our demographics, so we want to be inclusive. <laughs> you know, you can't leave anybody out. Um, the original intent of codifying separate bathrooms and the building code was largely centered around creating access, equality, and privacy for women. It was progress at the time. And that is a good point that a lot of the laws that we have to continuously fight today were just reactionary based on the demands of the people at the time without any actual forward thinking about what unintended seemed to happen. Like, yeah. obviously, anybody that wants to go to the bathroom while they're in a public area should be allowed to. Like, it just seems really fucking obvious, but it wasn't a thing in the 1920s. Yeah, like, the dump outside, so <laughs> said, that's super... Because you're poor? Because <laughs> I'm poor, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it's the same restrictions they do right now. Let's let's go on that about creating access in which you corporations don't have to give you bathroom space unless you are a patron. Right, which yep. precludes anybody that's homeless or without money, or they don't want to buy a forty dollar coffee at Starbucks, uh, and then corporations are then effectively forced to either decide if they're going to either be uh, a negative brand when it comes to bathroom sharing or open to all. And you saw that with Starbucks yielding to public pressure, and they were going to let anybody go to the bathroom, so no one got arrested again. Uh, and that's ultimately because of lawsuits. Has nothing to do really with and lost profits. Has nothing really to do with caring about people. All right, so let's go back to this. Sorry. Uh, so how does this relate to Black Lives Matter movement? Yes, the modern concept of policing exists because of capitalism. Remember, all workforces employed by government entities that serve the ruling class and enforce the class divide are bastards. Yes, I don't remember what it was, but that is exactly it. It's right along the lines of A Cab, baby, but it's. It's A W E B G E T S T R C A E T C D A B, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right, BLM is trying to fix that. That's right. So uh, it's a it's a, uh, a relatively small force that's been able to mobilize the large amount of people on the streets, and that's that's the important part about advocacy and just in, in being able to to come together in one idea and have one leader and, and push this out. So that the fact that you're able to actually grow because you can, you know, have some sort of sustained movement is perfect. All and right. So and today, it's Genesis, all about civil rights at some point. Like Black Lives Matter is like it focused is. on policing right now, but it it's not just about policing. No, but it's a hot button issue because it involves uh, it involves such egregious state violence. Oh, so a little yeah, bit of theory absolutely. here, right? It, the, Yep. The, the violence here is so egregious and so visible that you can see it. It's not like visibility, you know, or like poverty, which is blind to most people. It's not like lack of health care, which is distributed and blind to most people. This is videos of individuals being executed without trial and murdered in cold blood by people that are formed from the state or come from the state. Yeah, it's a much more vulgar display. It's different than kids not getting proper nourishment at school, which doesn't right. make you 
kind of as vividly and most individuals can just kind of hand wave it and rationalize it away as it being a long-term problem that has always been there and so I don't really need to care about it. And not only is it long-term, but you, you get used to it and you get uh, sort of stuck in that cycle. Desensitized, yep. yeah. Which, which we hope doesn't happen to this movement where it's constantly 24-hour news cycle and you can already see it dropping off. I mean, Seattle's going to take back um, uh-oh, the chop. Yep, nailed it. Yep, got it. First time around. No editing required. Right, and, that, and that's because people are beginning to peter out. I mean, they blame it on violence, but really what it is is people stopped caring. The number of people there is decreasing, and now the forces that are inside the shop are much smaller to handle. They're going to send in a much more trained and armed force to go in and remove them because the bodies just aren't there. I mean, it has nothing to do with Seattle saying, which is because of gun violence. It has everything to do with, you know, risk, losses, you know, cost analysis there. It's just kind of an atrophying of general interest in the the concept waning over some one or two week period. It's hard to have an occupying force last that long. I mean, the fact that it lasted this long was actually pretty impressive. All right, here we go. Uh, Yeah. So today, gender segregated bathrooms are also a concert to capitalism. It sure is. They promote the construction of redundant facilities, which increase costs and profits for builders. That's weird. Why would builders want money? <laughs> um, creating two gender-neutral bathrooms would create a situation in which there is a single provider, a physical bathroom that provides equality to all participants. That is true. And we see this all the time. And I don't even know where to even start on this one besides just rambling coherently about, you know, s- small mom pop shops spend a ton of money on floor space. And if they have to put another, what, 50 square feet up, 60 square feet, for a bathroom. I mean, that's a ton of floor space they have to do. All right. Let's keep moving. Um, yeah, here it is. So the idea behind creating additional bathrooms for trans people is idiotic. It's a capitalistic solution. It is not rooted in equality. Yeah, it is a nasty neoliberal idea that you're going to have a third bathroom for people who are, I guess, different from you. Um, and so it creates it creates another layer of separation. Yeah, it's just, it's another layer of segregation. It's it's uh, kind of like compounding the problem by not addressing it in kind of a, I'm going to say from like an engineering perspective, it's kind of a, a clean solution of having like one bathroom that everybody uses. There's no dual maintenance. There's no extra water lines. There's no electrical you know, excess. There's no, there's, there's, it's just a, an efficient implementation of resources to provide toilets. There doesn't need to be three toilets. Yeah, and then, then you can move in even farther than that. Like, are you going to start putting it for different people of, like, you know, different types of customers, right? Can you start segregating to the, which they already do, the high-paying, low-paying customers, the front and back? Yeah, so this is, this is really interesting because we start to look at, at what the international building codes say, and it won't bore everybody with it. Uh, but basically, you know, unisex toilets are allowed in all the building codes. International Building Code two nine zero two point two point one. If you guys want to read that, uh, International Building Code twenty nine zero two point two, all have ideas like separate facilities shall not be required for dwelling units and sleeping units. 
Said facilities are not required and structured or tenant spaces with a total occupant load, including both employees and customers 15 or less. And separate facilities should not be required in mercantile occupancies in which the maximum occupant load is 50 or less. So the real question is, is whether or not unisex toilets are allowed as part of the building code. And at this point, it seems like unisex are allowed. You just have to have multiple facilities if you have a lot of people in your building. I think that makes sense because in general, you don't want weights. You don't want overuse of a single facility. Yeah. So Am I, I getting that right? I, I think so. I think there there's a lot of like technical nuance that is just kind of deferred through time associated with IBC language, which is International Building Code, where each city kind of just blanket adopts some building code. Every... Uh, no construction company that does commercial buildings says, oh, well, we're going to do the, the number eight, uh, which is a 2,000 square foot commercial blah, blah, blah with uh, you know, bathrooms for X number of people. And they just build it. And there's not a lot of thought and it's, put into yeah. uh, what does language actually mean? Could we be more efficient? Like, let's think about it from like a human rights perspective. No, it's just we're throwing up a commercial building because some dude's paying us and we're going to take the money. Yep. And, and that's it. I mean, they're obviously going to exploit what they can. So you see exploitation in multiple ways, high rent. You're seeing it in, in greed or like, uh, I guess, construction costs itself. Uh, you're seeing it if they are converting from one style of business to another. So there's money to be made by every builder and capitalist here. And they're not going to let anything slip aside. So um, so it's, it's largely just an unanswered question as to whether do truly gender neutral bathrooms meet building code? Um, my argument would be it, yes, but I don't know that anybody at a uh, kind of a legal stature level of like a city council has ever gone to bat and said yeah it's fine okay and then withstood kind of the successive lawsuit of somebody complaining about it because that's the most american thing possible to do is complain about something that doesn't matter um <laughs> yeah and it waste everything through time. yeah yeah yeah, just so the listeners know, one of one of the best strategies is, is the basically sue and wait strategy, which is you can drain another person's ability to do anything just by a lawsuit. And they have to have legal counsel to fight it, legal counsel to go through all the different laws. I mean, there's a lot here to appeal if they lose. So you can actually win effectively just by having more money than them and waiting them out legally. Now, in the end five, seven, ten years, if you are, let's say, the one that's being sued and, and you prevail, you get paid for all the stuff that you've lost. But in the meantime, you've lost work and you've lost all the time at your job, all the customers you have. You can have all types of things happen along the way. So one of the easiest things for people with big bankrolls are is a sue. All right, so here we go. Go back to this, this idea of a crazy lawsuit. Maybe someone here listening <laughs> should sue um, for, for unisex bathrooms. Um, creating gender facilities costs more and therefore leads to more profits for the builders. There might be some arguments that this increase leads to more work for the workers doing plumbing, electrical, etc. So we're talking about class solidarity here, but in my view, it could be used to build other things. 
I mean, this is just a redundant. Yeah, so I, I was a little uh, unsure about that kind of paragraph, but I got to thinking about how, yes, there's less work in the immediate job, but there's such a shortage of plumbing and electrical and HVAC and just the general trades in general that it, it's not like um, there's an employee shortage on these tasks. So uh, there are slots for workers. We're not taking away uh, you know, potential employment, potential earnings. We're making infrastructure spending more efficient, which should collectively benefit everybody. Was I think my general conclusion, but but it, I think it does need to be mentioned that it might result in less work depending on kind of the surrounding ecosystem associated with this. But at All the right. same time, kind of like who gives a shit? So what do we really want here? In the end, we want, you know, it seems like we're saying we want everybody equal, but but in the end, we don't, right? We want equality for everybody. We want equality so that any individual could use the bathroom without anybody questioning whether or not they belong in there. Yeah. <laughs> and that doesn't just mean... We want, <laughs> we want anybody to be able to go <laughs> to the bathroom. <laughs> that's it. That's our slogan. After they've eaten Chipotle. Yes. If you eat Chipotle <laughs> and you have to go throw the burrito from your mouth into the toilet immediately. <laughs> it should be anybody. I mean, you should be anybody should go to the bathroom. They shouldn't be selective, right? And the other, the other part is that we also have general stereotypes when it comes to like other resources. Uh, things like changing stations, right? They're only sometimes, if they have them in women's bathrooms or uh, having stalls and urinals, which it, the urinals are for efficiency, but also, you know, it's only limited to one or the other. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, kind of a weird uh, scenario where these things exist for the building or product, you know, just to build. Yeah. And, b- and back to the idea that this, this that hurts workers, like if you have talked to anybody in trades or builds, you'll know that there is a shortage of people, especially those that have went through the union camps, the actual union tr- uh, uh, trade schools. Um, and yeah, there's people that are at the halls, but in general, you know, it's really tough to find labor right now. In particular, we have a lot of rebuilding that's happening in the South, a lot of growth in certain hot areas. And there's just not a lot of people coming out of schools looking to do manual labor, I guess is what the negativity is to it. We could talk all day about, about the college versus work, you know, argument that we constantly have, but there's, there just seems to be a shortage constantly of workers. And so freeing up anything small like this, being able to bang out a plumbing in a, in a shopping area faster would be a lot better for society in general. Yeah. And that, there's a whole bunch of other kind of, subtle obvious benefits to having gender neutral bathrooms that just kind of take place in your everyday life uh you know there's a situation where your uh your kid went to chipotle and needs to use the bathroom immediately and you're like okay well i gotta go in and supervise so which bathroom do you go in do you go in your gender or do you go in your kid's gender and you like what do you do it's a gender neutral bathroom who cares you just walk in uh kind of the same thing but kind of the opposite problem where instead of helping a kid you're helping the elderly uh, there's some additional contexts like uh, for schools where uh, teachers of young kids want to, you know, supervise what's going on in the bathrooms. Uh, 
the teacher will be of one gender and, you know, half the kids go into a room that they, you know, can't go into. Uh, gender neutral, that's not really a problem. Uh, there's also this security concept was touched on a little bit, but there's this notion of like, if everybody poops together, like there's a safety issue. And at a fundamental level, that's not really true because having more people kind of observe the general area uh, kind of increases security, but also gender neutral bathrooms typically have like actual doors that lock, not like here's a flimsy piece of sheet metal that's already bent that doesn't lock. And then at the end of the day, segregated gender bathrooms are probably unconstitutional based on the 1954 ruling in Brown versus Board of Education. Uh, so like that's another reason why we probably shouldn't have gender segregated bathrooms is because it's unequal kind of by definition. Yeah, good point. It, sh it sure is. You bring up a lot of, of weird nuances, and I think we've all seen lines in which the, the women's bathroom was much longer than men, especially at sports games and, and um, concerts and things in which you have high volume. Uh, we're seeing things, like you're saying, like when people are getting dressed. I mean, like, luckily, there's a family restroom in, in some of the big areas, bigger malls. You can take your family and kids and go in there together and all interact. So you're not separating you know, the, the parents from the kids, like you were saying earlier, but also that. But if you're in, you know, uh, a heterosexual marriage and you have a man and, and a wife and kids, then they have to separate and go to different bathrooms as this. So having one, you know, family restroom or having unisex bathrooms are great. Speaking from experience here. Um, and unisex is definitely the better messaging or branding. Yeah. Unisex. Yeah, for sure. You, I mean, unisex is already in some areas, yep. right? They just scra scrape the, the male and female off the doors and just put, unisex up or just a picture of everybody right yep. and then the other thing that comes along too is you also end up with with, with the ability of, of ACA stuff coming in right so you end up with um, the accessibility when it comes to you know ha handicap accessibility um, all across the board so again it talks we talk about things like just like um, baby changers or even rail systems that may not be in some areas or multiple stalls and all the stalls can have rails Instead of having urinals and then a stall within a building and taking up more space, we can actually end up having everything we need at one shot for all customers and all people. And it's it's a weird thing to be arguing that we're going to be benefiting the the business owner, but in the end, we're trying to benefit the worker who has to spend all their time shopping as is or going out and about as is. And we don't want anybody to be discriminated, regardless of of what makes the what it is that they discriminate against. And it's an engineering efficiency. Yeah. I mean, come on. Who wants to waste resources? If you want to just make an absolutely I mean, sterile economic, like, people-less, utilitarian. utilitarian argument, it literally costs less money to do unisex bathrooms. Yeah, 100%. So utilitarian, which is, which is just like, like you said, like the nastiest engineering point of view. Um it really is. I mean, I mean, you're going to line up and say, would you want to spend a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars? I'm spending a thousand dollars. I mean, it's a pretty simple return on investment investment ROI. <laughs> you want to talk, of, talk about sterile engineering discussion. <laughs> We're going to use the economics tag. Okay. 
Sounds good to me. So, so what complicates all of this and what makes this tough is that starting from the top down, we have the International Building Code, and then we have a bunch of muddled state and city codes and nobody leading anywhere. And so you'll see this in all bureaucracies and you'll see this everywhere in the world in which there is no leader because everybody defers to the council, right? Your city council. There's nobody championing this. There's no one to take responsibility because I just say, oh, we're going to vote on it. And what happens is people vote conservatively because they're the ones held accountable. And that is in every single bureaucracy. So in the end, you just say it's much easier for us to have a male and female bathroom and now a trans bathroom because we already have two. We might as well have three. And there's nothing that changes. And so with that, you have, you know, multiple municipalities uh, with generic building code language that requires compliance with the IBC. And that is a standard in almost all of them. And now you may see things like, oh, we have the international building code versus the U.S. code, depending on if you're in the rural or in, in cities. Um, and this also determines how your local municipality interprets the IBC. Uh, and this is, again, has to go with separate bathrooms or override existing. Um, and this has to do with the, the building inspector, what they decide at that point in time. And if override doesn't exist, figure out the city or council mayor would support uh, gender neutral bathrooms. This is actually a call of action here. If you feel strongly or not even strongly at all, if you just support workers in general, this is the important part. So on this podcast, because we taught you a little bit today, I hope, and we've muddled a little bit through this, um, the the hard part right now is finding champions who want to look through the building code, see if it requires IBC or what it requires, and then begin to reach out and write basic, simple letters to city council uh, or your building inspector or your permits department and just start asking questions about whether or not uh, gender neutral bathrooms or unisex bathrooms are allowed under code. And then if not, how are you going to change that? And that is basically bothering the mayor and city council until they call you a pest and they write a small little change that basically overrides the existing law and makes unisex bathrooms or generation bathrooms legal for future episodes and to learn more about the worker movement join us at workermovement.com